The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also, the Humidor, going the distance for fine cigars. This is Dooley Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into another edition of the Dooley Noted Podcast. Hope everybody is having a good day and a good week, and I know you're all excited. It's, um, you know, weeks like this are cool. Um, They're exciting. They're fun. They're intense, even before you get to the game. The tailgating is going to be off the chain. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and and you do a lot of radio shows. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think I did six on Wednesday. Did a couple more today. And um, it's just – but that's the way it is. Look, this is a – not only is it Florida-Auburn, which the storylines are, are magnificent. Patrick Nix, Bo Nix – the fact they haven't played in 12 years, the fact they're both undefeated, game days, all that stuff that's going on. Um, but it's also, it's almost feels like the Miami game because what else is there this week? It's such a dead week. For gosh sakes, SEC Nation's in Knoxville because they don't have a better game to go to and they need to go everywhere once a year so they're in Knoxville for the Georgia game when Georgia's going to beat them by 100 but when you look around the country and we'll get to the spreads later in the show um, it's just not much there now as we always like to tell everybody you're going to have a game where you're going to go holy crowd you see what happened there Uh, let's go watch the end of this game or whatever but it feels again like all eyes are on the Gators, like it was for the Miami game. Everybody's watching it. It'll it'll get ridiculous ratings, I would think, you know. And uh, it's going to be fun. I know everybody's excited about it. Uh, I I think you know. There's I don't know what what your level of confidence is, whether it's more cautious optimism or. You know, ridiculous Gator uh, confidence. The Gators never, never should ever lose a game. Kind of confidence. Whether it's realistic confidence, I don't think anybody's going into this game as a fan. I'm talking about fans, and I would assume it's 99.99 percent of the people who listen to this podcast are Gator fans. I think most of you are kind of like Auburn's really good. It's going to be really tough. It's going to be intense. I'm glad the game's in Gainesville, not in Auburn. And there's things about the Florida team that scare me a little bit. But you think you can win, which is all that matters. You win the game. You win the game, that's all that matters. Doesn't matter how. Doesn't matter if you throw 93 passes of two yards and you win the game, you win. So there is a confidence, and there's a confidence, I think, over in that building. From what I've been able to piece together, talking to different people, 
There's a confidence among the players. It's, again, not overconfidence. I, I don't sense, just from what we've done talking to players and what – you know, you can get up – you can feel a lot of um, what is going on at a program before a big game by talking to people that are around the program. And I don't sense overconfidence. What I sense is, all right, Here's our chance. Here's our chance to show everybody who doesn't think much of us, and there are a lot of them out there. There are a ton of them out there who don't think much of the of the fighting Gators, the five and 10 10th ranked fighting Gators. And to be honest with you, that kind of includes the pollsters, of which I am one. We all know that. You know, to you you like this team, you don't love them, but. This is your chance to, if you're Florida, to go out there and say, how you like us now? Go win the game. How you like us now? If anybody in America is critical of Florida, if they win the game, I give up. <laughs> I give up on you. Win the game. That's all that matters. Win it 3-2. to two. I, You should be thrilled. Does that mean you're going to go win, win at LSU next week? Probably not, but it's certainly a bigger game, isn't it? And it's certainly better for the thing, for the uh, the program itself, just to be playing in a game like this. Like this is big. We, we've talked about this before. This is big for recruiting. It's big for the Q factor with Florida, with the the whole perception of the program, that game day's finally back here. It's almost like Florida's kind of back. Not all the way back. They're kind of Texas back. If you remember Sam Ellinger after they won their bowl game against Georgia saying they were back, but they weren't really back. And they lost LSU, and if they lose to Oklahoma, nobody's going to feel like Texas is back. Back. There's a difference between back and back-back. Back-back means you're all the way back. You're a national championship contender. You're a playoff-type team. Back means you're not awful anymore. Because this, you know, as we all know, Florida in five years had two seasons with four wins. So, um, you know, I mean, this is a chance to take another step towards getting back. I was on radio with Doring and uh, Peter Burns, two of my favorite people in the world uh, today, and we were talking about that very thing. So I'll I'll get into more of that. I'm going to tell you what the keys, some of the keys of the game are. Also talk a little bit about uh, what we saw last night on HBO, all that and more. And Scott Strickland's our guest today. We're going to talk to him about a bunch of stuff. So first, I got to take a break. I got to do that. They make me do it. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At Star, we believe in better, better convenience. So members can bank any way they want. Whether it's at a branch, on a mobile device, or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free ATMs across North America, we believe that people have better things to do with their time. If you believe that convenience is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. 
Tailgates and Gator Winds call for the best cigars available from around the world. Pick your sticks today and save at the Florida family-owned site, thehumidor.com. Get free shipping on every cigar order. Find boxes from the biggest brands, samplers hand-selected by top tobacconists, or pick your own single sticks. Thehumidor.com, going the distance for fine cigars. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. Um, yeah, you know, here's what we know about Auburn. Really good defensive line. They want to run the ball. The basis of every Gus Malzahn offense is running the ball and then throwing off the run. They have exotic ways to run the ball, jet sweeps, you know, read options, stuff like that. Kind of similar to what Florida does, but not the same. And we'll see if if they're able to do that. They're averaging 251 yards rushing a game. That's two games for Florida, the way they're running the ball. Second in the SEC. They're also 13th in passing in the SEC. And Bo Nix had a better game last week. I, I do know that they've had some injuries at the wide receiver spots. And they're just kind of maybe now getting their timing down. But in the end, guys, and I'm going to give you some more numbers here. But these numbers don't really mean a whole lot. They are a way we can look at this team and this game. But once they kick it off, none of those numbers mean a darn thing. As Steve Spurrier used to say, statistics are for losers and assistant coaches. So I'm going to give you some more numbers. But in the end, it's going to come down to execution, who does their job better. Who blocks better, who tackles better, who makes fewer mistakes, who do, who's more disciplined. Simple things like that. Auburn's defense, for example, only has one interception all year. They have 13 sacks. Florida's got 24. So they're the defensive line everybody's raving about. But part of it's because they're really good against the run. They got some big studs up there. Florida's not as thick. Florida's more built, and this is the way Nick Savage wants to build this team. And, of course, Dan Mullen wants to build it this way, and he's having Nick Savage build it for him. It's like you're going into Build-A-Bear, and you say, hey, here's what I want from the for you to do for me at Build-A-Bear, and go in and build it, and you bring it back out. But they want more athletic, quick, fast guys. Still got to be strong. Still want some big guys in there, but – they're not building it based on physicality as much as they are speed and athleticism. And we'll see if that works on Saturday. They are ninth in pass defense and only one pick. So it would seem, in theory, that that's where Florida could hit them. Florida's strength is her wide receivers, right? Everybody loves Kyle Trask right now. So that will, would be, will be interesting. Um, to see how that works out. Now, Florida's third, Auburn's sixth in total defense, but Florida's 70th in third down efficiency against on defense. And that's a, a telling stat that has kept them from having the ball as much as Dan Mullen wants it. I, and I truly believe this is going to come down to be a third down game. 
how both teams do on third down will have a lot to do with who wins the game. Do you stop them on third down, get the ball back? Do you convert third downs and keep the ball? It's a, I, you know, it's going to be a third down game, in my opinion. Um, but it'll be, um, you know, one thing I, I, I think just overwhelmed me the other day thinking about it because sometimes games like this will overwhelm you when you're even as a sports writer because you're trying to think about what's going to happen what and you and you go on a hundred radio shows and you do tv show and you do this and you do that and we do this podcast and as i said i think the other day i am to the point where i'm tired of hearing me talk but i have an obligation to you even those of you who don't like me and even those of you who think i i'm gasping for air on the radio or on the uh, podcast breathing's not optional for me sorry it's the microphone i can't do anything about it we've i've tried to get something done it's the way it is if you don't like it don't listen i can't help it i'm going to continue to breathe it's like the uh, lou holtz when he was uh, coaching in south carolina he had a kicker who was a really good kicker but during practice he got missing kicks and he said what's the problem and he said um coach um I get nervous when you watch me. And Holt said, I don't know if you know it or not, but I plan to be at all the games. Well, I'm planning on breathing right up until I die. Um, anyway, I don't even know what tangent I was going off. Oh, the thing that overwhelmed me was just stopping and thinking for just a minute. I was walking actually up to get tickets, my tickets that um, I was fortunate enough to get. Very expensive. I hope you enjoy the game, Karen. Um but I was walking up to get them, and I was like, you know, here's the bottom line. These are two really good head coaches. You can say what you want about Gus Malzahn, and I know he has been a little up and down. And before the season, I I, I, I looked up a stat that they're actually, other than the years they're good, they're not good. And I don't remember the numbers, but they're remarkable. You know, he had the great year where they got to the national title game. Um, and then the year where they uh, a couple years ago where they played Georgia for the for the SEC title, but other than that, their SEC record is like I think well below 500. I probably should have looked that up before I came in here, but that's where I remember from the summer looking at that. Um, but Gus Malzahn's a good coach, and he's taken over the play calling. Started with the um, bowl game last year, and they scored like a hundred points on Purdue in the first half. I don't think that's indicative of anything because Purdue apparently is on the way into the toilet because they, they lost that game and they haven't been very good since. But Gus Malzahn's a good coach. Dan Mullen's a good coach. Todd Grantham's a good coordinator. Kevin Steele's a good coordinator. They're at the top of their profession. They make a lot of money. The players on both teams are really good. There are players on Florida's team that Auburn recruited. There are players on Auburn's team that Florida recruited. And really want it. I'm not sure it, it, either team would say, I'll trade rosters with you. Especially, I don't know if they, either team would say, I'll trade starters with you. Florida might trade rosters with Auburn because Florida's roster has been depleted, as we know. But I don't think anybody would say, I'll, I'll take your 22 and, and go. I think they'd say, yeah, let, let's do that. I can try that. That'll be fine. So what I'm trying to say in my weird way is that Florida and 
and Auburn both have really good coaches, really good players. And let's just see what happens. Swamp give Florida an advantage? You would think so. It's going to be a loud crowd. It's going to be an overwhelming crowd. Auburn will have its 6,000 or so fans, probably more than that because they probably had some people get tickets, you know, through StubHub and whatever. So I would think more like eight or 9,000 they may end up having for the game. But it's going to be a uh, you know the Gators are going to have a lot of noise, bring a lot of noise, and they're going to be into everybody's going to be into the game. All the Florida fans are going to be into the game like crazy. This game like this hasn't happened here. I know everybody wants to say LSU last year, but LSU wasn't the same as this is. This is as big as it's been here for a long time, and the crowd is going to re- reflect that. You would think that would be a huge advantage, but. In my column in Saturday's paper, I point out Florida at home haven't been that great. Now, I know Dan Mullen's only had a year plus, and he hadn't lost a game this year at home, but he lost two last year. It's pretty amazing when you look back at the last six or seven years, Florida's averaging like two losses a year at home where nobody ever wins, right? Nobody came in here under when Urban was here. Urban lost four games at home. Two of them were in the last season when he had probably his worst team. Spurrier lost four games in 12 years at home. So the Swamp hasn't quite been what it used to be. So, hey, this is the Swamp's chance. And when I say the Swamp, I'm talking about 82,000 individuals. It's a chance to get it back. But here's the thing, guys. It's a big part of the game. You're a big part of the game if you're a fan. If you're at the going to the game. If you're watching it at home on TV, you can't help Florida. Sorry. It's just the rules. You can't help them by throwing your remote at the TV. You can't help them by yelling for a quarterback change. It's not going to help them. But those of you at the at the stadium can help. Them. Sure. That's what home field advantage is all about. Sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes the other team's just better. So we'll see. And that's, again, I mentioned this earlier. This is where I am. I just want to know how this thing turns out. It's like you're watching or reading a book, and it's a really good mystery, but you just want to know what happens at the end. Unfortunately, you can't do it. Now, you can, like Billy Crystal in... What movie was it Billy Crystal did that? Was it When Harry Met Sally? Where he'd always go and read the end of the book? I think it was When Harry Met Sally. Um, But you can't do it for a football game. you you got to watch it. There's there's a part of me that would like to be put in in, uh, biofreeze or something, or a coma, and just wake me up when the game's over, and then tell me who won, and then let me watch it. But it wouldn't be as fun. It's just that I'm curious. I think more than anything, I'm curious. Who's going to win the game? Do you know? If you know, please call me. (laughs) I'll take all calls. If you know. Not if you think. If you guess. If you have an idea. If you have an opinion. No. So, anyway. Um... This has been a fun week, though. It has been a, an exciting week around here, and part of it was about the fact that they uh, 
the 24-7 thing aired last night on HBO. Unless you have Dish, you didn't get to see it. But uh, we did. Um, Kelsey came over and we all watched it together. And it was interesting. I made a brief appearance. I mean, very brief. You have to look for me to see me in the uh, press room and asked a question. You could hear me talking. My buddy Jeff Cardozo got a little airtime. That was good. It was good. It was a great, it was a basically an hour infomercial for the Florida football program. And that's why you do it. And if you can do it for Towson and they agree to it, it's even better. And I do agree with what Dan Mullen said. Because once you watch that thing, HBO was everywhere, right? Their cameras, people were everywhere. So this week, everybody's going to talk about, well, do you get get, get distracted? Do you have to do more interviews, blah, blah, blah? Nah. We did that last week with Towson. I think that is, that, I think it was, if it was done on purpose that way, I think it's brilliant. Will it affect the game? I don't know. But I don't think you can say, well, this team got caught up in the hoopla. This team got caught up in the hype. I really don't. I think this team's going to be ready to play football. And I and I told that to somebody the other day. I said, look, the least of my worries is that the Gators are going to be prepared. And this goes back, and I've, I've, I've said this before, Urban Meyer taught me about the importance of practice. I always knew practice was important, but he taught me just how vital it is and just how important it was to do the right thing every day of the week to get there, to get to game day. And when you get to game day, it should be fun. You should know everything. You've taken the test. You've already, you already know the answers. Go execute them. And Dan Mullen took all that from Urban Meyer. So I have no doubt this team is going to be prepared mentally, physically, best they've probably been all year. Got the crowd behind them. They got a chance. And then nobody can say, well, the Gators didn't look good. I don't care. I don't care how they win the game, if they win the game. Gators didn't look good. You're an idiot. I don't want to hear about it. Uh, the, as far as the HBO thing, though, uh, a little bit – it was a little – there was some stage stuff in there, you know. Uh, it didn't. I don't know. I'm not saying it bothered me. It's just some of it was staged. We all know what they were doing with a lot of the stuff. The, the, the most interesting part to me, there were two things. One – was Felipe and his emotional situation when he came out of the uh, surgery and his family was over there, friends, and Megan Mullen. And he, he got very emotional. And it just showed you, to me, that he, this is an emotional kid and there's nothing wrong with that. I had somebody tell me, other day, you know, the problem with, it, with, with Frank's is he's too emotional. You know, Tim Tebow is pretty darn emotional. I seem to recall him crying on a sideline one time. And firing people up. I mean, emotion. There's nothing wrong with emotions. You know, there there's a right time and a wrong time, and we've all already discussed that. But how emotional he is, and how much his teammates loved him. That was his team. Okay, there is no doubt about it. It was his team. And to lose that, I, you can just tell is devastating him not to be able to go out there with his teammates. That and the halftime when Mullen cusses them out because they weren't playing well. That was pretty cool. I wish that I, I wish they had a camera and every they, like they sh- maybe we'll get to that point in in this world. 
where there's a camera in every locker room of every sporting team, and you can turn tune into it. Hey, let's go see what's happening at the pit locker room at halftime because they're down 13 to nothing to Notre Dame. And listen to the coaches and what they say. I, I think it would be the most interesting channel in America. But what do I know? All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, Scott Strickland, Athletic Director of the University of Florida, will join us. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. It's a great pleasure to be joined by Scott Strickland, the Athletic Director at the University of Florida. As I said earlier, it's a big week, so we got to have big guests. Last We had Reese Davis on Tuesday, Scott Strickland today. Scott, I know you are highly anticipating what this game day is going to be like. Yeah, Pat, I think it's going to be you know really special. It's um, there's there's so many great things kind of all lined up on top of each other. Uh, obviously, it's a it's a great opponent. Uh, you know, top ten team in Auburn, um, who by the way, Florida's played eighty three times, and and everyone knows that there's a lot of history there. Yet they've not played a game in the swamp in a dozen years. Um, so that makes it really special. Uh, the fact that it's homecoming, the fact that the Gators are also ranked in the top ten, the fact that College Game Day is here, it's on CBS. It's it's kind of the perfect storm for um, you know for having a, a really memorable experience for fans and and uh, based on the the ticket demand and and <laughs> the uh, anecdotal feedback we're getting from from people, it's going to be one of the all time biggest crowds in the history of the Swamp. So it's it's got it's got a chance to be a lot of fun and really special. The bigger the game, do you uh, and your and the people there just kind of want to just let the game take over? Whereas, whereas maybe for Towson or UT Martin, you're kind of pumping things up and trying to get the crowd excited. Is it more of a kind of lay lay back and let the game take over because the crowd's going to supply its own energy? You know, I, th- I think we still want to contribute to that because I do think there's an expectation when people walk in the in the stands that, that there's going to be a spectacle put on in front of them. So you still want to make sure that it, there's a lot of, cir- uh, you know, pop and circumstance and, and, and uh, you know, that, that there's a sense that it's a big-time game. So I'm sure that, you know, the way we have run our games this year from a presence, presentation standpoint, I think it will be very similar. One thing, if, if fans have paid attention, um, we have done a lot – there have been a lot fewer interruptions in the game presentation this year as opposed to years past. You don't see a lot of timeouts to, to walk somebody out and introduce them. Um, we're wanting to keep flow. We're wanting to let the band play or play music or do fun stuff on the video board. Uh, but but we're wanting to try to create a you know a big dance party where people are engaged for three hours and not you know being told to sit down and listen very often because we want them to want them to make a lot of noise. So I think you'll see see a lot of that uh, being similar this weekend. Um, you know, the, the fact there's going to be 90,000 people, it's going to be probably 10,000 more than the than we've had up to this point for any single game this year, I think is going to really create a buzz that, that uh, I do think the crowd in and of itself will have a lot of energy. Yeah, and I'm guessing it's not a typical uh, visiting crowd as well, that they probably used up their allotment of tickets uh, at Auburn, didn't they? Yeah, they Auburn used 6,000 tickets, which um, – I think A and M when they came here two years ago uh, had a similar number. It's probably around you know fifty five hundred. This will be our biggest road crowd in several years, and I think it, again it speaks to the fact that 
Um, these two schools are geographically fairly close together, and they haven't played each other here in Gainesville in, in over a decade. Which you would think would make the conference want to play them more. But we won't get into that. I promise no lectures on scheduling today, so uh, I'm not going to do that. But uh, I'm going to hold you. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, obviously the things you're trying to do facility-wise, and especially let's just talk about the Swamp. I'll get into baseball and the other stuff later. But in the Swamp, uh, I know there's a lot of things you want to do, but it's going to take time. I mean, when do you see a timetable when we're going to see a Swamp that's going to be exactly what you want it to be? It's really hard to say. I can I can tell you we haven't we have ongoing conversations. Uh, I've been in a couple this week, focused on what the swamp needs to look like. Um, you know, it is a uh, an old iconic venue. Um, it was built in 1930, so it's you know it's approaching 90 years in the original structure that's been added on to. And there's a lot that that's right about this, the stadium that that you don't want to see go away. And it's one of those things when you start kind of changing one part of it, it creates like a, it's like unraveling the the proverbial uh, ball of yarn. I mean, the whole thing kind of starts to come apart. And so you've got to have a really comprehensive plan. It's not just, you know, let's renovate this one concourse. It's let's have a holistic view. And, um, you know, also, um, you know, you've heard me talk before about, you know, reducing seat count and, and making the tickets not scarce, but a little more scarce than what we've seen because visitors aren't traveling like they used to and their students don't um, come in the same numbers. We have a really good student crowd that comes, about 15,000, but we have 18,000 seats held. So you create some softness there by limiting seating capacity. Um, you know, you would make them a little more scarce and you'd help on the supply demand. It would feel more full more often, which I think adds to the, the fan enjoyment and the sense of, of every game being a get, big game. However, when you do that, you know, you have to understand you do up, you lose the opportunity for weekends like this. We're going to have over 90,000 people in the stadium. And you, we just have to make sure that's the right decision long-term. So there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, part of it is pricing. What would you would charge for seats when you go to that model? You don't want to price people out of the market. You want to make sure it's still fun affordable family venture, but at the same time, you'll make sure it's a really good experience for the fans, whether that means more comfortable seating, better restrooms, better concessions, um, just a better overall game day experience like you might find when you go into a, a newer venue and just trying to retro that into a, a facility that's uh, almost a century old. Yeah, I, you know, and, and every time I drive by that baseball stadium that's going up, I, it's it's a marvel right already, um, and I – I can't wait to get in it. Is there any way we can speed it up so that maybe this year we can – because I, I can't wait to cover games in that place. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a big-time venue. And um, you've heard me say before, obviously our uh, Kevin O'Sullivan has a national championship caliber baseball program. I think we have national championship caliber fans, and both of them deserve a, a championship caliber ballpark. And this is going to be every bit of that. Um, you know, you drive by it, it looks like a big league facility and uh, and I think it will be so um, we're still on track to finish that up next summer which is obviously following the the 2020 season um, but uh, you know making sure we do it the right way and take our time and and uh, keep that on track which we are on track which is exciting is really important long term and then as you've heard me say before once that facility is done and baseball moves in and um, that becomes you know the that, that part of campus with softball and and lacrosse and baseball in that one corner of south, the southwest part of campus is going to be the place to be in the spring. 
Um, once that happens, then you know we come back over to where McKeithen's currently sits, and uh, um, we begin working on the standalone football training center, which is going to be a game changer for our football program in a really significant way. Can I press the plunger when you knock down uh, McKeithen? <laughs> for your seat, we will let you do that. <laughs> we'll let you remove your seat. There we go. I like that. Uh, last thing before we let you go, obviously this uh, Fair Play Act going into California, uh, there's been uh, federal legislation introduced. Um, what, what's your take on it all? Is it more of a let's just wait and see how this all plays out, or are you guys already being proactive? I think I think it's uh, you do some of both. You know, you do want to wait and see how it's going to play out. I'm of the belief that um, it, you know, obviously, it's not a, a tenable situation for 50 states to have 50, 50 different laws. Right. Um, at some point, there's got to be something that that is the law of the land, and whether that ends up coming out of Congress or whether it's something that ends up in the court system, and and we have to wait and see how that gets adjudicated there. You know, the the court system up to this point has validated the collegiate model. Um, I don't think the the term amateur athletics is is accurate because each student athlete is getting fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year in value when you look at tuition and room and food and and apparel and all the all the stuff they get that has value to it. Um, so it's not really amateur athletics. It, it's more socialist because every socialistic in that it's not free market. Every athlete gets the same, and so you have five hundred athletes playing in twenty one sports at a place like the University of Florida. The model has allowed each of those sports uh, to to be supported, um, and so there's a lot of unknowns about this. And and you know, if if the model changes, we'll adapt and uh, we'll be prepared to adapt as as quickly as anybody. Um, but right now, it's 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 hard to know where it's going to end up, and and so it's probably more wait and see. And obviously, it's something we're we're following very closely and and trying to understand. He is Scott Strickland, the athletic director at the University of Florida. What a pleasure to have him on. We'll take a break, come back with more of the Duly Noted podcast right after these messages. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit zaxby's.com. I'm your host, Pat Dooley from the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com, and this is the Duly Noted podcast presented by Zaxby's. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. Thanks a lot to Scott Strickland for coming on, and we are going to continue talking about college football. One thing I did want to mention is uh, it was an interesting story that came out this week about Phil Fulmer saying that he did not was not interested in coaching. His coaching days are behind him. It's uh, I, I mean, I feel, I feel like he had to kind of get to that point where people would – quit speculating uh my good buddy john adams wrote a column saying he thought filmer may be angling for the job and you know we um those of us who know his history that has a lot to do with why we thought maybe he was but um he said he's done he's not and he's backing jeremy pruitt and he probably gonna back him (laughs) right into the tennessee river we'll see what happens with tennessee uh going forward but i will say this i mean i know there are a lot of fans in uh in knoxville who really are ready to make a move already they haven't given them anywhere near enough time you would think that um 
you know, Kentucky and what they did with, with Mark Stoops. They waited. They gave were patient. They gave him better facilities. You know, Tennessee always had the great facilities, and now they're – I'm not saying they're antiquated. They're still great. I mean, I'll never forget the first time I walked up in there and uh, saw their indoor practice facility. This was 1996, and it was unbelievable. So, you know, the – the facilities aren't the issue. The stadium's not the issue. The The issue is getting the right coach in there and getting him to get the right players. And it's the recruiting is better in the state of Tennessee than it used to be. But you to be successful there, you've got to go into places like North Carolina and Georgia and Florida and get better players. And they're just going to have to continue to get good players. I mean, that's what it's all about. And in the case of Tennessee um, – Maybe he's not a great coach, but I think you've got to give him some time, and I think they will. Uh, let's talk some spreads. We like to do this on Thursdays, and um, there's some interesting ones certainly today, including the one Friday night. UCF is only giving up three – or yeah, they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Cincinnati. Now, I I don't know what I'm missing here. Um, Cincinnati's okay – we just saw them recently get destroyed by Ohio State. And I'm not saying UCF's in Ohio State's class, but UCF's really good. I know they lost a game by one point. They're really good. I don't think they'll have any trouble. It seems like the absolute lock of the week to me. I mean, I don't bet, and I there are times when I'm tempted to bet, though. And this was one that feels that way. Three and a half points is all they're giving up. It's a Friday night game, so I don't know what the crowd's going to be like. I'll be watching it probably, along with baseball and everything else that's going on. Um, another one that's interesting, Duke, five-point favorite at home against Pitt. Now, Duke at home in football is not exactly an overwhelming advantage. It just means you aren't having to fly anywhere. Uh, Pitt you know, has been kind of a weird team to follow this year. And I know what Duke did just on, um, was that Thursday night? I, the days are starting to run together. Oh, it's Friday night uh, against, um, against uh, kind of, I blanked on who they, who they kill. It was Virginia Tech. And maybe it's based on that, but I, again, I, I think Pitt's going to win that game, let alone cover the five. So it seems like some strange spreads here. Kansas State's a, a one and a half point favorite against Baylor. Baylor's undefeated. If Baylor wins, probably putting them in my top 25 because that'll make them 5-0. and I Reluctantly. And when I say reluctantly, I'm not going to forgive Baylor for what, what happened there. Just because it's a new coach and a new AD and I know everybody should will say hey, you know, you need to let bygones be, be bygones and just move on from it. Sorry, I'm not gonna. That's just me. I'm holding a grudge. Sorry, <laughs> but I will. I will put them in if they beat Kansas State because that would be a good win. Kansas State is not a, a tremendous team, but you, we saw them against Mississippi State, which now I don't know how good a win that is. Miami is a 14 point favorite over Virginia Tech. That that line opened at eight and a half. Virginia Tech. God, remember when there were Miami-Virginia Tech games that were must-see TV? Not quite. Not quite this year. 
It's not. It's just not a game that is compelling to anybody. But I'm interested in it, and just seeing if the Justin Fuente freefall continues. Now, again, I don't think this is a guy on the hot seat. He was a hot commodity. In fact, he's a guy that I brought up to. Um, I remember bringing him up to Jeremy Foley when Florida was searching for McElwain, and I, I can't remember the reasons why. He wasn't as interested as maybe I thought he should be. Maybe it was because Fuente hadn't done it for very long. But he was a hot guy, and Virginia Tech got him, and he started, you know, they looked pretty good early, and now they're just going down the tubes fast. Um, Transfer portal got them a little bit. So Miami, a huge favorite, even though Miami's done nothing this year. They lost to Florida. They lost to North Carolina. They barely beat Central Michigan. That's it. That's the resume. It's not good. It seems like a lot of points for Miami to be giving up for a team that hasn't done anything. But, again, it's kind of a weird one. Here's another one. Oregon's an 18-point favorite at home against Cal. Cal has looked like a good team at times this year. I know they lost uh, last week, but and I know outs in stadium's tough, but 18 seems like a lot of points. Michigan is a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Iowa at home. It was seven. It's gone down. People are betting on Iowa. The wise guys are. Interesting there. I I did pick Michigan. I don't have a feel for this game. Michigan seems to not be that great. <laughs> Iowa is going to probably be right there in the game. Iowa's an interesting team every year. They're always interesting in, in, in that – this is going to sound strange. What makes Iowa interesting is that they're not interesting. They're just consistent. And that's the way they built the program. Georgia, I know this will be a surprise at Tennessee. He's only favored by 24 and a half. That seems like a lot of points, but... And I think, look, I think SEC Nation's there, so maybe there'll be a little hype. Maybe the crowd will be good. You got to think there'll be a lot of Georgia fans there. This might get ugly early and just go bad. And that's the thing with Tennessee under Jeremy Pruitt that I I feel like has happened. Either they kind of hang in there with you and make it interesting, or you know, like they did with Auburn at Auburn and beat them last year, or they get down early and it's over quick. So we'll see what happens there. Ole Miss is a seven and a half point favorite over Vandy at home. Ole Miss is at home. Doesn't really matter where Vandy plays; they're always on the road. I don't know what's going on at Vandy defensively, but I'm going to be kind of watching. I'm curious to see how this game turns out. Again, Florida's got Vandy way down the road. And and who knows? It's like when people always ask me to project scores or games down the road, I'm like, I don't know who's going to be playing, who's going to be quarterback. But I'm still going to watch it with interest, this Vanderbilt team, and see if I can kind of – because I haven't really watched them play. I watched a little bit of the Northern Illinois game. I lo- I watched a little bit of one of their other games, but I need to watch more of their games just because I'm curious because I'm a SEC football nut. Auburn, speaking of the SEC, you may or may not be aware, is playing Florida this week. Uh, apparently it's a big game. Auburn is favored. It's the, this, the game opened at even. Money went on Auburn early. It's uh, two and a half to three points. And I, I think it's because of what we've talked about, what we talked about here, what we've talked about in multiple places. 
Auburn's looked better than Florida so far. Auburn's played better teams than Florida. And that's the big advantage that Auburn has. Um, you know, it's um, – now, the Mississippi State win is not – while it was an impressive win to destroy them like they did early, Mississippi State's nothing special, as we know. It, it seemed like a bigger deal than maybe it was. But winning at Kyle Field is still good, really good. Winning a neutral side game against Oregon was really good. So that's why the money is on Auburn. But as I said, I think it's a coin flip game. I have no idea who's going to win it. I can make a prediction, and that's what I get paid to do, but I don't know. I I I think Robbie and I were talking on the, on the Swampcast, which you can look at at uh, Gatorsports.com or Gainesville.com. We were – talking on the Swampcast about how um, you kind of want the game to be over so you can see who won. That's the way I am a lot of times when Florida gets a big, 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 huge game. I just want it to be over. And I know you guys want to go and enjoy it and fight, scream and yell and have a great time. I just want it to be over so I – who won? I want to know who won. Sometimes that's the – the bottom line is what overwhelms my enjoyment of the game, but I'm going to try to enjoy this one. And then finally, Ohio State, 20-point favorite over Michigan State. I would stay away from that because that could easily happen. Or Michigan State could bow up and try to gain some respectability. I'm leaning towards Ohio State winning that game by a ton. All right, let's do three things. It's time for three things. Let's start out with number one. I'm going to give congratulations to two teams I was rooting against. I'm not a big Tampa Bay fan. Didn't really care that much. But I always kind of liked the Oakland A's, Moneyball, Billy Bean, all that. The funny thing is because I'm, I don't follow baseball that closely. I follow the Braves and I follow the big stories. But I don't follow the day-to-day. I didn't know anybody that came up to bat for Oakland. I wasn't overly impressed either. With their bat, at bats, um, but I did watch the game, and I watched uh, the Nationals game too, which was an unbelievable game. By the time you're listening to this, the Nationals could have already played another game because they play Thursday night. Just try to get my brace through. Uh, it would be nice to have. It's it's great to have playoff baseball, but it's even nicer when it continues when you keep going and you get and you survive in advance. But congratulations to the Rays. Congratulations to the Nats. I know there's a lot of Rays fans out there. My dad is a big one. He loves his Rays, even though he used to be a uh, a uh, Braves fan. Now he's more of a Rays fan. Secondly, the Biochem thing, I, I, I don't know what, how to react, whether it's funny or just sad. If you don't know, he flipped off a fan on the Korean tour. They suspended him for three years. Now, in a way, that's like, hey, good. In a way, you know, way to show a guy not to do that. But three years, really, for flipping somebody off, that seems ridiculous. And finally, I saw this story. John Johnson, safety for the Rams, takes a bath before every the night before every game, and it brought back a memory of Robin Fisher, who used to take bubble baths before games back in the old days with the Gators. And – there's a great story I was going to tell, but I've kind of run low on time here. i got to kind of get out here. So I will tell that story next week. How about that? Until then.
Pat Dooley of the Gainesville Sun. I am out of here. Thanks for clicking on. We'll be back next week with the – we'll talk about Auburn next week on Tuesday. Don't forget to click on. Until then, I am Pat Dooley, and I am deep. I'm way back, and I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's, taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's or order at zaxby's.com. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org. And also, the Humidor, going the distance for fine cigars.